Hey everybody, it's Andy. Welcome or welcome back to the Decatur City Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, we would love it if you would take just a moment to download the Decatur City Church app where you can find access to all of our recent message content. And the app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend. But most importantly, I hope you enjoy the following presentation and I hope it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. So we kicked off a brand new series last week called Made for This, where we are um, unpacking the question and asking the question, why am I here? What is the purpose of my life? Why am I where I am? Why do I exist? And this question eludes no human mind, like no matter who you are, what you believe or don't believe, what you do, what you don't do, where you've been, what your background is, where you're from. um, No human being doesn't think about this question. In fact, um, as humans, we are on a search far and wide for purpose, meaning, and significance. Why? Am I here? In fact, I I told you guys last week, Mark Twain, a famous American author, wrote this, that the two most important days of your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why, right? Even if whether or not that's true or not, we feel like it's true. There is a fascination and a longing to want to know why. And when we don't know, it's unsettling. So over the course of the series, we are trying to bring some clarity around the question, why am I here? And to do so, we are journeying through um, the book of Colossians. It's actually a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote from prison to a church in Colossae, which is modern day Turkey. But to us, it's known as the book of Colossians in the back half of our new Testaments. And through that, we are answering the question, why am I here? Because although the desire to want to know that is not a faith thing, um, what we discovered last week, and I want to catch us up, is that the answer to that question is certainly connected to faith, right? The answer to why am I here, we said this last week, the answer is more who than it is what. The answer is more who than what. That before anything that you do, more than anything that you do, more than any job you have, more than any role or responsibility that falls under your name and is a part of your life, your primary purpose is more who than it is what. And last week, we said that who is Jesus. That when the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church in Colossae, he had one purpose when he wrote this letter, and it was to answer the question, who is is Jesus. He wanted to create, he used words unlike found, found nowhere else in the New Testament to create a picture of who is Jesus, to really allow us to figure out who he was, his place over all of creation, to get a picture of his supremacy and his godness, that he is fully God who reigns supreme. And, and, and the apostle Paul, by answering the question, who is Jesus, begins to answer the question for you and for me, why am I here? We looked at this last week, Colossians chapter 1. Verse 16, the Apostle Paul wrote this. He said, All things have been created. All things have been created through him, being Jesus, and for him. All things in creation, including you and including me, all things in creation, especially you and especially me, were created through him. And there's our purpose preposition for him. Kind of the big idea, guiding principle for our conversation over the next few weeks that we landed on last week was this, that before anything that you do, you were made to know Jesus, live like Jesus, and show others 
Jesus. That no matter what season you're in, what age you are, what job you have or job you don't have, what your relationship status is, whether you're working, whether you're retired, whether you have a job, whether you're at home, which come on, is a job bigger than just about any job that you could have. No matter where you are, there is purpose in anything that you do in anywhere that you go. And it is into that idea that I want to lean into a little bit and unpack for us a little bit further this morning. And my hope is that today, some of you are freed up as you think about your purpose. And also, I'm going to get my Joanna Gaines on, and we're going to repurpose our purpose, okay? We're going to repurpose the way that we see our purpose and walk into life with a totally different perspective. Because for some of you, right, there are some of you in the room that when you think about your purpose, there is a disproportionate energy on the what. There's a disproportionate energy on the what. What am I supposed to do? Okay, Sam, yeah, yeah, I was made to know Jesus, live like Jesus, and show others Jesus. But, but, but what am I supposed to do? Like, give me the what. I need to figure out where to go. There's an overemphasis on the what for some of us. And by an overemphasis on the what, what we're really looking for is, that, okay, what's the secret path that God might have for me that's going to lead me to my destiny? I want to know what my destiny as I hear that word thrown around. I want to figure out that one thing to do that one thing where I'm supposed to go so that I never get bored. I never get frustrated with my life. I'll always be content, fully satisfied and filled. Like I want to figure out that one thing. What is that what? I just want to go do it. But whenever you put too much emphasis on the what, it often leaves us paralyzed, unsure, and worrying about choosing wrong. In fact, um, this is a whole conversation, maybe a whole series for another day, but the root, the Latin root of the word decision means to cut off. So it's kind of why decisions are scary sometimes because I don't want to cut off the wrong option. I want to know exactly what. Well, if that's you, I want to free you up a little bit today. And then there's some of us, and I would argue the majority of us, I think all of us for sure fall into this category. But for some of us, we're not so much thinking about the what, Like, you're not asking what. You're like, Samer, I'm in my what. For some of us, we want to know exactly what to do with the here that we find ourselves in. Because here's what's true for all of us. You ready? Tomorrow is going to come. And tomorrow, another work week starts. The same job. Same office. Same responsibilities. You're going to walk into the same class. Raise the same kids. Walk with the same people, you're going to head to the same building, you're going to do the same commute, unless Waze gets crazy and you choose to follow. Same routine, same house, same dorm. Here's what's true for all of us, is that life, life can start to feel like the movie Groundhog Day, right? Oh, yeah, that guy felt it. <clears throat> Over and over and over. It's the same thing. Yeah, it changes and there's different seasons, but I'm kind of in my what. I'm doing my what. Here I am. And maybe you've never put words around this, but for a lot of us, maybe even for, I would argue for all of us, when we think about our purpose, what we really want to find is meaning in the mundane. And not mundane isn't bad. Mundane is just the normal of life. We want to find meaning in the mundane. We want to find significance in the every day. I want to help you today find purpose in everything. Last week I told you, and we just talked about this, that your purpose is more who than it is what. Well, today, what you're going to find is it's also more how than it is what. Because of who Jesus is. 
So we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3 um, for, for the majority of our time today. And we're walking through Colossians, but we're, we're not going to be able to get every word. And we're kind of jumping around and making it all fit so we can kind of um, find the themes in this book. So I'm encouraging you to read it on your own. But today we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3. And, and let me give you a roadmap of how we're going to unpack Colossians chapter 3, okay? We're going to look at the very beginning of Colossians chapter 3, kind of the intro that introduces kind of his argument for the passage. Then we're going to jump down to the end of Colossians chapter 3, where the Apostle Paul gives us his summary statement. And then we're going to do something crazy. We're going to come back and unpack the middle. Okay, are you tracking with me? You're good? All right, so we're going to go to the beginning. And then we're going to see the end, his summary statement. Then we're going to see the practical implications of how all that plays out by jumping back into the middle of the passage. Here we go. Colossians chapter three, starting in verse one, the apostle Paul writes this. He says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Now um, he's talking about um, the, he's talking about the resurrection. And whenever you are in Christ, whenever it talks about being with Christ, raised with Christ in Christ in the new Testament, what it means is he's describing being relationally connected to Jesus. If you are in Christ, if you are raised with Christ, you are relationally connected to Jesus. And so what we believe about Jesus is that he died. And on the third day, he rose a resurrection that launched our faith, the resurrection that is the foundation of our faith. And so when you are in Christ, the apostle Paul says, since you were raised with Christ, in other words, when you put your faith in Jesus, it's as if you died and then you're given brand new life. That in Christ, we've been raised with Christ. In Christ, we have a brand new life ahead of us. Our sins forgiven, our past fully redeemed, no matter what the story, our future secure because of the hope of a resurrected savior and, and, Uh, very relevant to our conversation today, our present reality changed. That in this new life that we have because of Jesus, we have new patterns, new values that guide us, new aims, ultimately new direction that ultimately lead to new behaviors and a new way of living. So he says, since you have been raised with Christ, a new life ahead of you, he says, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So again, throughout this letter, he's answering who is Jesus, the supremacy of Jesus, really unpacks it in chapter one, and here we are, now Jesus, he he, he is God. He is seated up there with the heavenly father in all of his godness. So set your heart on things above, and then he says, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. So the word set, it means to seek or to strive for earnestly. And he says to set your heart and to set your mind. Those are two ideas that kind of reinforce each other. The Apostle Paul is saying with setting your heart, oftentimes when you talk about the heart in the, in the scriptures, it talks about the totality of your being. And so he's saying to set your heart is to direct the energy and the direction of one's life. And then to set your mind talks about your concentration and your focus. So the apostle Paul is saying, let the energy and the direction and the focus of your life, I want it to be influenced from a different perspective. Let it be influenced by the things above, not the things below. You know this, you will always follow the direction of your focus. The apostle Paul is challenging us to see life from a different vantage point from a different perspective. I want you to see it as if you were looking from up here, right? You know this, right? You've been in a moment where you're kind of down on the ground level, then you get up over it and you're seeing way more that is kind of impossible to see right here in the moment, right where you are um, on the ground level, high up, different vantage point, you see things differently. So the apostle Paul says, hey, I want, you to, I want you to see life 
And I want you to see your life, your new life that is now available to you in Jesus from a different perspective, from the vantage point in heaven. That if all things really do exist for Jesus, that means people, if you're looking at it from this vantage point, people aren't just people. Your job isn't just a job. The season that you're in does actually have meaning. If you're looking at your life from the vantage point of heaven, you are not an accident. No, 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 there is purpose. So the apostle Paul is saying, hey, because of this new life, I want you to let the right things and the right perspective guide your life. Let the values of God, exemplified for us in the life of Jesus, guide us and lead us, okay? So that's the beginning, the right perspective, seeing things from the perspective of Jesus guided by the right values. And then we're gonna jump down to the end, the summary statement, okay? That's how it begins. And then Colossians chapter three, verse 17, and this is kind of our, we're going to be camping out. This is our, kind of our main takeaway for today. He says, so with the right perspective, minds and hearts set on things above. So then the result, and whatever you do, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So hey, in whatever you do, if your mind and your heart are set on things above, if you've got the right view of who Jesus is and you're looking at your life and where you are and the season you're in from the perspective of God, that people aren't just people, wherever you are isn't an accident, every season has a purpose, well then in whatever you do, I want you to do it in a way that honors Jesus. The word or deed, it literally means just in the totality of your life, from the A to Z of your life, whatever you find yourself doing, wherever you find yourself doing it, with whoever you find yourself doing it with, I want you to do it in the name of Jesus. If you remember from week one, to walk worthy of the Savior that you follow. And he says, in whatever, wherever, whoever, it doesn't matter, in whatever, And you remember this from part one, and I'm gonna keep reiterating this every week so we don't miss it. The Apostle Paul wants us to totally understand this reality about following Jesus. Jesus isn't just a part of life. He's not just a part of it. It's not, you know, work, you know, relationships, marriage, family, this, that, the other, and then Jesus. No, 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 no. Jesus is the context for all of life in whatever, in anything. And if you are a Jesus follower, here's what that means for us. There is no secular versus sacred split when you follow Jesus. To set your heart and your mind on things above so that your response is to do whatever in the name of Jesus. That means everything is spiritual. Every opportunity has purpose. In everything, whatever is an opportunity to reflect in word or deed who Jesus is. So the apostle Paul says, in whatever you do, in whatever you do, and wherever you go, and whoever you're with, whatever you do, wherever you go, whoever you're with. Sam, I just wanna know, I don't wanna know the what for my life. Cool, in whatever it is, wherever you are, whoever you're with, I want you to do it in word or deed in the name of Jesus. So now, gonna jump back into the middle and we're gonna look at practically what it looks like to live a life with the mind set on things above and doing it in a way that honors Jesus in whatever you do. This is what, we'll jump back into verse five and this is what the Apostle Paul says and we'll string it all together at the end. He writes this in verse five. So I want you to put to death, I want you to put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Put to death literally means to rid yourself of. And what he goes on is to 
gave us a long list. You should go read it. A long list of things that, um, that, that surface in our lives whenever we're letting our earthly nature, the New Testament also calls it our flesh, to run the show and to lead our lives. Your earthly nature are those things that lead you to do things that you regret. The earthly nature is the thing, um, that, that this propensity for you to do things that you're ashamed of, that hurt people, that hurt you, the things that you're not proud of, right? And some of the things that in the list that the apostle, I want you to put to death things like lust, sexual immorality, anger, slander, rage, lying, idolatry, evil desires that hurt people, greed, filthy language. None of those things make you better. None of those things make our world better. None of those things make anything that you or I are connected to better. And none of those things lead us to live a life worthy of Jesus. None of those things lead us to live life in a way that brings maximum glory to Jesus. I want you to to put to death those things, rid yourself of those things. And he says in verse seven, he says, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. Again, If you're a follower of Jesus, you've been given a brand new life. That's not you anymore. Since, he says, you have taken off your old self with its practices and you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. You've taken off the old self. You now have been raised with Christ, brand new life, right? Mindset on things above, new values, new direction that ultimately leads to new patterns and behavior. And I want you to put on the new self the new self that is available to you in Christ. And he said it is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. As you put on this new self, as you seek to grow to know Jesus more, you will start to live more like Jesus. So mindset, heart set, put off the old, put on the new. What does it look like to put on the new? He goes on in verse 12 and he writes this. Therefore, As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. Now, he's been using this clothing imagery, and I love this imagery. Here's why. Every day, you have a lot of decisions to make. And really, you know, you can choose to do certain things, not do certain things, how to do certain things, what you're going to have for breakfast, what time you're going to wake up, you're going to work out, if you're not going to work out, um, what route you're going to take to work, what you're going to have for lunch, where you're going to go to dinner, what you're going to feed your kids, what time they're going to go to bed, what you're going to watch on Netflix. I mean, there's so many things that you can decide to do. Do you know the one thing that you really don't get a decision in? Whether or not you're going to clothe yourself. Like, you don't live in a society where that's an option for you. You know what I mean? And I know that sounds silly, but but think about this. It's the one thing that you are going to do every day. You don't even think about it. Like, no, no, I have to do this. It is imperative for me to do this. Every day I get up and there's a lot of things I get to decide, but the one thing I don't decide is whether or not I'm going to clothe myself. That's decided for me. The apostle Paul uses imagery that requires us to think, okay, every day I've got to do this. Every day, if I'm a follower of Jesus, every day I've got to do this. Every day there is opportunity. Every day there is purpose. Why? Because in whatever I do, I'm called to do it in word or deed in the name of the Lord Jesus. So every single day, Paul says, I want you to clothe yourselves with and he's going to give us a list of virtues. He says, every day I want you to clothe yourselves with compassion. Compassion. Compassion, this word here literally reads, bowels of mercy. Jesus is concerned with your bowel movements, right? <laughs> Just kidding. Be way funnier for, I don't know, a middle schooler. Um, <clears throat> 
But, but you know this feeling, right? It's feeling for someone in the pit of your stomach, feeling someone in the deepest parts of who you are to the degree that your response is nothing but extending mercy to someone in need. It is a remarkable sensitivity, a remarkable sensitivity to those suffering or in need and then doing something about it. Clothe yourselves, he says, with compassion. And he says, clothe yourselves with kindness. This word does not get enough credit in our English language. Kindness. The word kindness literally means um, to leverage your strength for the benefit of somebody else. To leverage, I love this, leverage your capacity for the benefit of somebody else. It's thoughtful, interpersonal interaction that leaves people wondering or saying, you didn't have to do that. Wait, you didn't have to do that. Yeah, I know. Wait, you did what? Kindness is in the unexpected and the unnecessary. I love this. Kindness is in the unexpected and the unnecessary. Whenever someone does something unexpected or unnecessary, what is it? It is kind. They didn't have to, but in that moment, they stopped. They leveraged their capacity for your benefit. So Paul says, I want you to put on kindness today. Look for opportunities to be kind today. And then he goes on, he says, humility, humility, um, again, this is interpersonal humility. So it's not like, you know, you score a touchdown and you say all glory to God kind of humility, right? <clears throat> and I don't even know what that's like because I would never score a touchdown. Look at me. Um, but, but I would imagine if I did, I would, doesn't matter. Humility here, <laughs> interpersonal humility, interpersonal humility, that you would consider others before you consider yourself, that you would have a proper view of yourself in relation to others and before God, that you would have a proper view of yourself, that you need Jesus just as much as anybody needs Jesus, and Jesus died for them just as much as he died for you, which means you or I are no better than anybody else, that this kind of humility keeps us from being self-absorbed It's all about us. Everything revolves around us. You know this, it doesn't. And it creates space. This kind of humility creates space for others. This kind of humility leads us to not be self-righteous because if Jesus really died for everybody, including and especially us, then that means we or I are no better than anybody else that we would come eyeball to eyeball with. And this type of humility keeps us from being the one-upper that never lets people live in the joy that they experience. You know what I'm talking about. You ever been around a one-upper? Don't raise your hand if that's you. You know, you're talking to your friend about, yeah, yeah, I went to Disney World, and man, we got these special flash passes because we had like this connection, and it worked out so really well. And then your friend's like, oh, that's cool. My uncle's Walt Disney. And you're like, okay, whatever. (laughs) Awesome. You and your uncle have fun. You know, like it's like this... Let them have the moment, right? This kind of humility interpersonally creates space for other people's joy. It keeps us from thinking way too highly of ourselves and remembers that everybody, everybody is someone for whom Jesus died. Clothe yourself with that kind of humility. And he says, clothe yourself with gentleness. This is the opposite of harsh. It's the opposite of rude, right? You're not bulldozing people with your personality or with your temper or because you know that you can. Gentleness is most often seen, I think, 
in our response when we choose not to react. In those moments when you're fired up emotionally and you want to react destructively, you can pause and choose to respond constructively. Gentleness. Clothe yourself with gentleness. This is clothe yourself with patience. Patience. Now this patience here, it isn't like, you know, I'm in traffic and I'm not honking or, you know, this isn't like that person that cuts in front of you just to get one car ahead of you in traffic. I've never understood that mentality, but it's okay. There's grace for all of you. Um, Just kidding. Patience isn't like I'm waiting in line, you know, and I need to, patience is different. Again, interpersonally, this is patience in the sense of not retaliating when you've been wronged. This is patience in the sense of showing self-restraint when you've been wronged. Um, This is patience in that you're not just throwing up your hands and giving up on people when somebody lets you down. And the next two things that the Apostle Paul unpacks are actually connected to this idea of patience. He says this, he says, I want you to put on patience and then I want you to bear with each other. To, this, is, this word bear, to bear with each other, it literally reads to put up with each other. To put up with each other, right? This is like literally biblical, to put up with your husband. Put up, put up with each other. Enduring frustration. Enduring when you're inconvenienced. Believing and trusting and understanding that we're all people just trying to figure it out. So bear with each other as we do. Like I, I feel this the most, and you'll, you'll get this, this picture. Um, my, my kids are at the age, well, they're four, two and a half, and nine months. And, and, and my two and a half year old especially, she's at the stage where she wants to do everything by herself. And it's like cute sometimes, but it's not cute. We're like trying to rush out of the house, you know? Like, just put your shoes on. I won't do it by myself. And I'm like, okay. And you're letting her do it. She's struggling. And it's Velcro. (laughs) And you're watching, and the car's already running, and you're like, we're already late. And every time you try, it slows down the process because she wants to start over. And you're just like, just Velcro over Elsa's face. It's just right that, you know. It's the perfect picture of bearing with each other while you figure it out. Because there's trying. It's with your husband or with your wife, coworker, with your kid, or the person you're interacting with in that one-off moment at the cash register, or someone you don't know, or the neighbor, it's in that moment you're bearing with them because they're, they're trying, and they're doing the best they can, and I've got to put on patience. Then he goes on, he says, forgive one another. How? As the Lord forgave you. Might be the most convicting one on the list. That we're not holding grievances or grudges against one another. I had a seminary professor say that the worst sin that you could commit in his mind was to withhold forgiveness from someone else that your heavenly father in Christ so freely gave you. Forgive as the Lord forgave. Don't quit on, don't cancel, don't forget, create space for the grace of 
God and forgive. Put on patience, bear and forgive. And then the Apostle Paul concludes the list with, and above all else, above all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Again, continuing with the, with the metaphor of clothing. This is like the overcoat that you put on and you button up and it binds everything together. The overcoat that goes over all the other virtues and binds them together. If you forget everything else, choose to love. If you forget everything else, lay your life down for the sake of others. Even when it's uncomfortable, even when it costs you. And I find it no coincidence that earlier in chapter one, and we looked at this last week, where the apostle Paul argues for the supremacy of Jesus, and he shows us how supreme Jesus is in all of creation, putting him in the right place. And in the same letter, he argues for the supremacy of love, because the two go hand in hand. Love one another. Then Paul concludes, in whatever you do. What? I, I don't know, but in whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus. If I could summarize it, in whatever you do and wherever you are, live like Jesus has changed your life. And whatever you do and wherever you are, live as if you've been raised from death to life. And whatever you do and wherever you are, clothe yourselves with what Jesus exemplified for us in everything, in every season, in every job, in every relationship, with every kid, in every interaction, in whatever you do and wherever you are, live as if Jesus has changed your life. Life. You want to talk about purpose in anywhere or anything you find yourself in. Put on compassion, put on kindness, put on humility, put on gentleness, put on patience, bear with one another, forgive as the Lord forgave you, and then above all else, put on love. Sam, or what? We could talk about what, okay? Like, I'm trying to figure out what, man. Okay, we could talk about that. What are your passions and what do people affirm in you and what gets you out of bed and what do you get excited about? All that's great, but beyond what, how about whatever? Not flippantly, not flippantly, but in the whatever I want us to pay attention to how and in the whatever Jesus wants to pay attention to how, like Jesus has changed your life. How do you bring meaning to the mundane? How do you bring significance to every day? How do you find significance in whatever you're doing? Live like Jesus has changed your life. Because in whatever we do, and tomorrow in whatever you do, wherever you are and whoever you're with, there is an opportunity to put on the things exemplified in the life of Jesus. It was um, <clears throat> when I was in seminary, I taught swimming. I was out in Dallas, Texas, getting my theology degree. And uh, my dad so graciously helped me pay for school. But kind of my contribution, I taught swimming lessons to little kids to help pay for school. And the school was called Dolphin Swim School. And it was this new type of learning. They had these baby dolphins in the water. I'm kidding. It was not baby dolphins. It was just swim school. It was just, it was just, it was just cute. <clears throat> and... Uh, I was Sam or Swordfish. There's details though. And so I'd never taught swimming lessons before, but I was like, man, I, I love kids and I gotta pay for school. And I, I mean, I can, you know, I'm not Michael Phelps, so I can swim. So let me, 
let me give this, let me give this a shot. I had a friend that worked there. And so um, it wasn't glamorous. I mean, it's like, you know, you're getting sick all the time, pools infested with God knows what germs and stuff. And, um, but, you know, soccer moms get mad at you. And so um, it doesn't matter. So <clears throat> my first semester, though, teaching, and uh, I get a call from the church that I was a part of uh, when I was in college. It was one of our partner churches. I interned there. And they called me and said, hey, we want you to come back and speak for our high school camp. I was like, oh, sick. So one weekend, they flew me back, and I got to speak at this camp. And like, man, I, I mean, I was doing what I was made for. Like, I was doing what I thought I was made to do. In fact, I mean, the reason I went out to seminary is because I thought the purpose of my life was to lead and speak and to pastor at a church. So here I am this week, and they're flying me back. I'm the guy. I'm on the stage with the microphone. I'm speaking. I'm connecting. I mean, this is what I was made for. I had so much fun. I mean, it gave me so much life. Sunday night, I fly back to Dallas. And then Monday morning. 8.30, I pull into the parking lot at Dolphin Swim School and I'm staring at that sign and I'm mad at that sign. I can't believe I'm here. I mean, I remember this so vividly. I am so annoyed that I gotta jump back into that water. I'm so annoyed I've gotta teach kids how to swim. I'm about to walk into work mad and frustrated and annoyed at the world because I'm like, what am I doing? I, just, I was just doing what I was made to do, and now I'm back here. And I remember this so vividly. I had this moment where God spoke so clearly to my heart in that moment. I'll never forget this. I'm staring at the sign, and he says, hey, I know you think I made you to hold a microphone and stand on a stage. I didn't make you to hold a microphone and stand on a stage and be in front of a bunch of people. No, no. I made you, no matter where you are or what you're doing, to live like I have changed your life. So go love those kids like I have loved you. I'm telling y'all, it was so clear. And it was so not me, but it was Jesus in me. And in that moment, God got a hold of my heart and he got a hold of my life and he changed my mindset. And in that moment, something in me shifted and I made a decision. Okay. Okay. For as long as I'm teaching at the swim school, I am going to make the 30 minutes that I get with each kid a week, the most encouraging, loving 30 minutes of their week because of the way that Jesus loved me. And I I didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell my boss. This was between me and God in that moment. I said, you know what? My mind's gonna shift. It's gonna be different. And so that's exactly what I did. And starting with me, it changed something on the inside of me. I started caring about families and names. It changed the way that I taught. Parents would notice. They'd often ask me, why I love their kids so well. And I got to tell them not in a weird way because I think my faith calls me to. And there was this one moment, three and a half years on the tail end of this journey that I will never forget. I was graduating seminary. I was actually moving back to the area to work here at Woodstock City with the college ministry. And so I'm wrapping up my classes for the week. I'm not gonna teach at Dolphins School anymore. And some of these kids I'd had for a long time and there was one girl in particular, her name was McKinley. I started with her when she was one and a half years old. 
And here she is about four or so. And I've watched her growing up. I've taught her for a long time. And she was such a joy. I developed a great relationship with her family. And she was one of the ones I was like really sad to leave. I wasn't sad to leave all of them. I was really sad <laughs> to leave her. There's a season where she called me Mr. Sampster. She couldn't quite figure out the name. And so I remember walking up McKinley to, to exit the pool for the last time. The last time I'm gonna see her. And her, her, her dad meets me at, at the door and I give McKinley a hug and I give him a hug. And then as he pulls back, <clears throat> I'm looking at him and he's got tears in his eyes. And I'll, ne- I'll never forget this. And I had, I had known that McKinley's mom was walking through breast cancer and he looked at me and he said, Samra, he said, what McKinley has walked through the past two and a half years, she didn't understand it. She just wanted to know where her mom was and she treatment and this, that, and the other. It was so tough on her. She said, he told me, but the 30 minutes that McKinley got with you every week is what got her through. We're gonna miss you so much. Thank you. I couldn't believe the words coming out of his mouth. And I I gave him a hug. And I remember getting in my car that night, driving home to my apartment. And I remember telling God how grateful I was that he broke through my selfishness. He broke through my pride. He broke through my self-absorbed life is all about me and what I think I can do and doing things that put me in a place that I wanna be. I'm so glad he broke through all of that and put me in a place where it became clear to me that the purpose of my life is to live in a way like Jesus has changed it no matter what I do, where I am, or whom I'm in front of. And in that moment, I was reminded that my purpose is way bigger than any role or job that I could ever have. You want to talk about purpose. You know what I wasn't thinking about? Anything I'd ever done on stage, but left so grateful that she felt love when she needed it the most. So can I just tell you Do you want to find meaning in the mundane? Do you want to find significance in the everyday? It starts with understanding that every day you and I wake up to new opportunities to do whatever, wherever, with whomever in the name of Jesus. Dream job or not, you could be chilling at the to-go window at Chili's. I don't care. There's an opportunity wherever you are, at home, with your coworkers that you have no idea what they're walking through, with your neighbors, you have no idea what their kids are dealing with. Whatever sorority you're in, whatever fraternity you find yourself in, whoever your roommates are, there is an opportunity there every day before you to live like Jesus has changed your life because he's not just a part, he's the context for the whole thing. And when he's the context for the whole thing, your purpose is season-proof. Your purpose is age-proof. Your purpose is job-proof. Your purpose is relationship-proof because whatever you do, wherever you are and whoever you're with, live like Jesus has changed your life. And let me just tell you, This is how we change the world. This is how neighborhoods and communities and cities and schools and families and workplaces change for the better. 
When we, as followers of Jesus, shine, when we put on what we've been called to put on and live like Jesus has changed our lives. This is how communities flourish. This is how lives are changed. Because we're walking in our purpose, living like the one who we were created for in whatever we do and wherever we are. So, how can you repurpose your purpose, find meaning in the one mundane, and rid yourself of the anxiety and the struggle of worrying about whether or not you're deciding right and understand in the whatever is an opportunity? I want you to ask yourself, maybe you start asking yourself this question every morning. It's worth writing down. <clears throat> how can I be faithful today? I wanna walk in the purpose of God for my life. Okay. How can I be faithful? Why am I here? How can I be faithful today? Why am I still in this job? How can I be faithful today? My kids, I know. How can I be faithful today? I'm not doing what I thought I, I know. Trust me, I know. <clears throat> How can I be faithful today? How can I clothe myself and live in a way that glorifies and shows others Jesus. And then end your day with a challenging question. Was I faithful today? No? Okay. Time to lock and reload because tomorrow is a new day with new opportunity. How can I be faithful today? Was I faithful today? Allow there to be space for God to do something incredible in and through your life in whatever you do, wherever you are, whoever you're in front of. Because there is meaning in the mundane. There is significance in the everyday because Jesus is in everything. And more than what your purpose is who and how. And thankfully the who is Jesus and he showed us how. And this will unlock and free you up and give you a different perspective that will change the life that you live and the story you write. So let's go and be available with open hands and open hearts in whatever, wherever, and with whoever, because Jesus changed our lives. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we love you. And we are so grateful that you have given us the example of Jesus to follow. Give us the courage to do something with that. Give us the perspective of heaven. Give us the perspective that this is bigger than us. And would you give us the clarity to walk into every day, to walk into the mundane, believing and knowing that there is opportunity there because of who Jesus is. Lead us. Guide us, give us the courage to be available. In Jesus' name, we pray, amen.